In 2018, I reckon many of us were shocked or angered at what came out during the Banking Royal Commission, the Banking and Insurance Royal Commission. Uh, There were some pretty horrible stories. Things like banks charging millions for products they didn't provide. Uh, A young man with Down syndrome being pressured to buy an insurance policy he couldn't understand. Or stories of dead people being charged premiums for life insurance. Uh, in a word, Commissioner Kane concluded what sounds like stating the obvious. He said, the cause of this systemic misconduct was greed. The desire for more profit, winning no matter what, the love of money and power had dulled any sense of conscience. Uh, Today, as we listen to God through the prophet Micah, we see a very similar thing happening in the hearts of wealthy, powerful people 700 years before the time of Jesus. Uh, Last week, we began listening to Micah. Micah's message is to God's people in Israel and Judah. But as we heard in verse 2, it's a message for the whole world to hear. Micah 1-2 says, Hear, you peoples, all of you listen earth and all who live in it, that the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. The Lord is coming and it should cause people to tremble. He's a witness against his own people, the people he loves. And in chapter 2, the same message, the same prophecy continues. Micah 1 and 2 are one unit. They're one prophecy. We could actually take out the chapter division because it's just one thing, Micah 1 and Micah 2. Last week, we heard the sin of God's people and we heard that it was idolatry. They are worshipping false gods. Today, we're going to see how false religion spills out in the way people treat each other. Micah reveals how rich, powerful people have no problems stealing from the poor and vulnerable in broad daylight. Have a look at verse 1. So this is Micah chapter 2, verse 1. Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. They covet fields and seize them, and houses and take them. They defraud people of their homes. They rob them of their inheritance. This isn't how we normally think about theft. If you're worried about someone stealing from you, you're probably thinking they're going to sneak in at night whilst you're asleep and nick off with your TV. But not in Micah 2. These people lie in bed at night. They can't sleep, not because they're worried about someone stealing from them, but because their mind's racing about a new scam. And then they get up in the morning and in the cold light of day, they set their scheme in motion. It's not breaking and entering, it's defrauding people of everything they own. Maybe they make loans they know people can't repay. Or they look out for someone who's vulnerable, maybe they've had an injury or they're widowed, and so they're willing to sell the farm for much less than it's worth so they can put food on their table. And when you hear of something like this, someone who is rich and powerful, destroying those who are poor and vulnerable, your blood boils. 
because this sin is planned and callous. And because the offender has power, it's work than, worse than break and enter. But there's something even worse going on here. Have a look at that last phrase, which said, they rob them of their inheritance. Uh, property in Israel wasn't just a financial asset. It was land God had promised his people. Way back in the time of Moses, the land was broken up between the tribes, the land was allotted to families and was to stay in the family forever. Now, it was legal for people to sell their land if they needed cash. But, and this is a big but, under God's law, every 50 years, starting from the first year they entered land, every 50 years, there was a reset. It was called the year of Jubilee. In that year of Jubilee, all land was returned to its original owners. Uh, we read about it in Leviticus 25. I'll put it up on the screen. Uh, if one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. If, however, there is no one to redeem it for them, but later on they prosper and acquire sufficient means to redeem it themselves, they are to determine the value for the years since they sold it and refund the balance to the one to whom they sold it. Then They can then go back to their own property. But if they do not acquire the means to repay, what was sold will remain in the possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. It will be returned in the Jubilee and they can then go back to their property. Now, there's some fa- uh, complex family dynamics there and some accounting systems. Don't worry about all the details. The point is the land was to return to the family every 50 years, once every generation or so. But there's no evidence this law was ever obeyed in Israel. And it definitely wasn't happening in Micah's time. Rich and powerful people saw some land, they cooked up a scam and took and kept it for themselves, no matter the cost to others. There's an account of something like this happening in 1 Kings 21. King Ahab wants a field owned by a bloke named Naboth. Naboth doesn't want to sell at any price because, as he says, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. But Ahab wants the field. And in the end, his wife sets up a conspiracy. She gets some people to falsely accuse Naboth of blasphemy and treason. Despite the fact it's all lies, Naboth is summarily executed. I can't say that word. Summarily, I can't get that out. He got executed without a trial, so Ahab goes and takes the field. Now, Ahab lived about 100 years before Micah, but the same kind of things are still happening. And I wonder, because sin is like this, I reckon there would have been some people lying in their beds, rubbing their hands together, knowing full well that what they were doing was evil, but they didn't care at all, like Ahab and Jezebel. But I wonder if more of these privileged, wealthy people couldn't really see they were doing anything wrong. In their minds, this is just business. It's just what everyone does. 
Look, no one takes Leviticus 25 seriously. Surely God was exaggerating with this year of jubilee. Moses doesn't understand how our modern economy works. I wonder whether greed has just become part of their culture and the moral compass has been thrown out the window. Now, a sick culture, a culture where sin is systemic and infects the whole, a whole segment of society, that's no excuse. But it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder the sins we might be guilty of that we don't even see. Well, what does God have to say to these people who use power to oppress? God says, You've been planning to steal and defraud. Well, I'm planning judgment. Verse 3, therefore the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people from which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly for it will be a time of calamity. In that day, people will ridicule you. They will taunt you with this mournful song. We are utterly ruined. My people's possession is divided up. He takes it from me. He assigns our fields to traitors. Therefore, you will have no one in the assembly of the Lord to divide the land by lot. This is poetic justice. The powerful have taken homes and land from the poor. God says, I'm going to send in an invader who will take that ill-gotten land from you. Do you hear the irony in the taunt? It's like a, a person with a shed full of stolen goods who gets robbed and calls the police only to end up arrested themselves. But this is no laughing matter. This is God planning judgment, planning disaster that they cannot save themselves from. And verse 5 shows this is permanent. In verse 5, the picture is judgment's done. People have returned from exile and now they're reallocating, redistributing the land to God's people. But on that day, when the land's divided again, there's not going to be anyone from the family of these rich robbers to receive a portion because they're utterly destroyed. Poetic justice. Unsurprisingly, this isn't a message the powerful people in Israel and Judah wanted to hear. But there were plenty of false prophets ready to tell them what they wanted to hear. They say, look, there's no way God would punish you. Verse 6, do not prophesy, their prophets say. Do not prophesy about these things. Disgrace will not overtake us. But Micah responds, yes, disgrace will overtake you. God has been patient, but now punishment is coming. Verse 7, You descendants of Jacob, should it be said, does the Lord become impatient? Does he do such things? Do not my words do good to the one whose ways are upright. And God's words do do good for those who are upright, but that wasn't the case for these rich people amongst God's people back then. They weren't upright. And so verse 8 goes back to the daylight robbery that was happening. Verse 8 Lately, my people have risen up like an enemy. You strip off the rich robe from those who pass by without a care, like men returning from battle. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. 
you take away my blessing from their children forever. What's going on here? Imagine a soldier returning from battle. They're returning home, relieved to finally have peace and safety, only to find their fellow countrymen, people they went and fought for, are lining up to steal the clothes off their back and they don't care that the families of these veterans are now destitute. These rich, powerful people will stop at nothing, even destroying the families of veterans. But God sees and will bring justice. Verse 10, get up, go away, for this is not your resting place, because it is defiled, it is ruined beyond all remedy. God's justice is they'll be sent into exile. You want to steal people's homes, destroy their farms? Just wait until Assyria invades. Then we'll see how valuable all your wealth is. But not only do these powerful people get rich off the back of the poor, but they drag God into it. They find themselves a a false prophet who are willing to claim that God approves of this. They're willing to say God's okay with evil for the measly price of a few drinks. Verse 11. If a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. These people, they're rich and powerful. They think, well, I can buy God off. They want the false comfort that God approves of their sin. Maybe even that God will bless them, help them to have success as they destroy the weak and powerless. And so they go and hire a prophet. It's blasphemy, isn't it? As I've read these verses this week, I've been reflecting. January 26, 1788. A flag is raised in Sydney Cove, a flag that has two crosses on it. A flag that symbolises... Christianity, a flag that proclaims the one who humbled himself by laying down his life to save others. And as it's raised, surrounded by soldiers and muskets and naval vessels offshore, the land is claimed by King George III, claimed by the one who is head of the Church of England and who is reportedly a devout believer. Micah 2.2, they covet fields and steal them, sorry, and seize them. As God speaks to us today from Micah 2, we can find ourselves on either side of the story, and some of us actually are, are on both. Some of us need to hear God calling out the sin of covetousness of using power and privilege and wealth to get what you want at the cost of others. It may not be as blatant as King Ahab, conspiring to murder to get what you want. But maybe it's selling off a bit of land that you know floods or you know can't be developed and selling it at top dollar to an unsuspecting buyer. Or it's Selling someone, hey, I've had no problems with this vehicle, when the only reason you're selling it is because it's a lemon. 
or if you're an investor, whether it's through your super fund or directly by buying shares or going into business deals, do you turn a blind eye to immoral behaviour, getting rich at the cost of those who are weak, and you just turn a blind eye, because that's what everyone does. And, and it's going to make me a prophet, isn't it? Is God's word to us today, I see what you've done. Woe to you, because you lie in bed planning sin. But some of us are on the other side. We've been victims of fraud and dodgy deals. People with more knowledge about technology have hacked into our stuff. The real estate agent, the car salesman has done us badly. God's word to you is, I see what's been done. And Micah 2 is comfort because God will bring justice. And the complexity, of course, is there's some of us who have been on both sides at different times, isn't it? And we need to allow God's judgment to sit heavily with us and also know that God's judgment means justice will be done for us. But whether you're the oppressor or the oppressed, after chapter 1, God coming down in judgment and the mountains melting before him. And now chapter 2, as God takes on the oppressors, the final word of this message is hope and restoration. Verse 12, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I'll bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. The king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Micah started with bad news. God is coming down to be a witness against his people. And Micah told uh, the bad news that God's judgment is personal. And we heard that again today. Verse 3 emphasises God's personal judgment. Therefore, the Lord says, I am planning disaster against this people. But isn't this amazing? The good news is also personal. God will personally gather the remnant of his. Remnant just means those who remain. God will personally gather them and he will personally be near them and lead them out of disaster and into freedom. I wonder how people in Micah's day heard that final line. At a time when kings had so often failed them, And God was warning that his presence means judgment. He says, verse 13, their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. Uh, This is a promise of God personally, directly leading them. And as the Assyrian army swallowed up Israel and the refugees flee to the southern kingdom, begging at the gates of Jerusalem to be let in, that have remembered these words. 
And then as God's people returned from Babylon and started to rebuild their nation and the temple, they'd have remembered these words. But even in those moments, when God was gathering his sheep into his pen, there was not a godly king to lead them. And Yahweh himself was not at their head. Until one day, 700 years after Micah spoke, in the temple that had been destroyed and was now rebuilt, Jesus says these words. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Jesus says, The day Micah was speaking about when God's sheep would be brought into his pen, that day is now. And that king that Micah spoke about, even God himself leading his sheep into freedom, Jesus says, that's me. Jesus says, he's not only the king, but he is one with the father. And he will rescue and protect every sheep the father gives him. This is good news whether you're the oppressor or the oppressed because Jesus came to give freedom and forgiveness to any who turn and trust in him. Today, God's word to you may be, turn from your sin. You may have been sucked up into our culture of greed and used your wealth and power at the cost of others, hear the warning of God's judgment, come to Jesus for forgiveness. Or if you've been oppressed, God's word is, justice is coming. God has seen what has happened and God himself will act. Come to Jesus because he will hold you firm. Let's pray. Lord God, please help us to know ourselves, to see ourselves truly in the light of your word. Please help us to repent, to turn away from habits and cultures that tell us greed is good, that it doesn't matter the impact on others as long as it makes us comfortable and well off. Help us repudiate these values and follow Christ. Please give us comfort in your judgment. For those who've been crushed and oppressed by those with power over them, help us know your coming judgment and to look to Christ alone for comfort, help and salvation. We ask you might help us to live differently to stand out in our greedy and power-obsessed culture because we are known by Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.